So I am an optimist, Laurie. And the reason I'm an optimist is because I believe all of those other tasks will ultimately be, become something that somebody or some other machine can do. If it's data generation, if it's, if it's uh, collating reports, if it's technical competencies, we know at the pace at which AI is moving that we'll be redundant pretty soon in that regard. Mark my words, by 2030, those type of activities for leaders will become no longer their core bread and butter. The thing that will differentiate great leadership then is about the ability for those leaders to connect at an, at an emotional level with the other humans that work for them. That's the only thing that will differentiate us. The rest of that activity, the, the um, collating of data, the searching of, of, of the internet, that's, that's going to be done by other things. The only thing that we will, will add, where we will add value as leaders is in the emotional connection because that won't be replicated by AI. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Brudeman and this is Punk Rock HR. In each episode, we take a realistic but slightly cynical approach to fix and work, bringing you raw and honest conversations with disruptors, innovators, and even random working people like you and me with one goal, to reshape the workplace as you know it. But sometimes we take a break from all that and talk about real life, like relationships and well-being and kids and animals. And along the way, we drop a few F-bombs too. Whether you're an HR professional trying to do the right thing, a leader looking to connect with their people, or just fascinated by workplace dynamics, this is your destination to fix work once and for all. On this episode, we're unlocking the secrets to organizational excellence with Kevin Brady. He's a seasoned executive in the pharmaceutical industry with over 25 years of international leadership experience. Kevin has seen firsthand how the leadership landscape has evolved, understanding that true potential is unleashed when teams connect deeply with their purpose and their leaders. So if you're interested in transforming teams and organizations worldwide, or you want to hear a guy with an Irish accent, please sit back and enjoy this chat with Kevin Brady on this week's Punk Rock HR. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Laurie. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. You know, I am super excited to have you here for a multitude of reasons that we'll get into. But before we just talk in general, could you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Sure. Thanks, Laurie. So Kevin Brady's my name. I've spent all of my career in the pharmaceutical in, uh, industry, uh, primarily in Ireland, and I've also worked in the U.S., most recently, I've established my own organization called Performance Unlocked, where I'm really passionate about focusing on how to optimize the performance of individuals, teams, and organizations. So that's a little bit about me, Laurie. Not bad. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how we know one another? Yeah, so never met in person, but I feel like I know you really well. <laughs> and so I've been fortunate enough to work with your husband, Ken, for a number of years uh, as part of Aerie. And uh, what a super guy he was. I was blessed to meet him and and, uh, and now blessed to meet you. Well, thank you. I'm really appreciative of that. You know, as someone who knows my husband well and only knows me through the internet, I think it's probably an interesting perspective that you have on humanity and relationships, right? Especially in this perspective. So what made you want to come on Punk Rock HR? Like why, why this? Why now? Well, a couple of things, Laurie. I think firstly... I really admire the fact that you followed your passion and that you 
um, are tapping into some of the most important topics, I think, in HR that are often aren't spoken about. So I really respect you for that. A lot of the topics that are really relevant and resonate with me as a leader in, in the pharmaceutical organization that you cover. And I think that linked to my own passion for this idea, idea I guess, of how do you maximize the performance and engagement of your teams is, is really the reason why I guess we're talking today. Yeah, I was hoping that would be the only reason, but tell us a little bit about how you ended up in a place with both a corporate job, but also a new business. Sure. Yeah, I will, Laurie. So I guess my interest in, in pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals goes back a long way. I grew up in rural Ireland, and in that, I, I was part of a farming, farming community. So there was lots of opportunity to to see and, and be involved in pharmaceutical medicine. So my, my dad was a vet, so we spent a lot of time with uh, veterinary products and pharmaceutical products back in the early 80s. From there, I always had an interest in pharmaceuticals. So went through college, studied uh, pharmaceutical um, science and pharmacy, and then obviously moved into industry. And I guess after a number of years in industry, what I was drawn towards was leadership and I ultimately leaders who inspired me and challenged me to develop myself. So quickly I learned that the technical knowledge that I had gained through my career was certainly interesting, but moreover, how you led people and how you got to maximize the engagement of your team was probably more interesting to me. So I've I've been about 25 years now in the pharmaceutical industry, been site lead or general manager for three different pharmaceutical manufacturing plants of different size, both here and in the US. And in all of that time, I've really had this passion around leadership and I suppose unlocking the performance potential in individuals, which I think is, uh, there's just so much left on the table in organizations that people really are, as, as we know, coming to work, maybe little levels of engagement or very little engagement. So I think there's a huge amount to play for there. You know, as you were describing people, you know, leaving engagement and leaving excitement and leaving performance on the table, I wonder how you tackle that because it seems that you can go up the ladder and work with organizations to really address what's possibly broken in the very nature of these organizations, or you can go down the ladder and work with individuals to really uh, tap into inner leadership and self-leadership and show up differently. So how are you approaching this in your new business? Yeah, so I think, Laurie, it's, for me, leadership is all about relationships. So I think if I can improve the quality of relationships um, with, with leaders and their, and their teams, I think that will lead to more effective leadership, more effective engagement. So my focus with, within Performance Unlocked has been to try and engage with organizations at a senior level, first of all, to build on some of the concepts that you've spoken about in your podcast, such as psychological safety and the great work of Amy Edmondson and areas around empathy and self-awareness that, quite honestly, are sometimes undervalued, I suppose, within leadership. So my hope and my, my goal through Performance Unlocked is engage with organizations at a management level to understand their, first of all, the challenges that they face in terms of engagement, but moreover to focus on how do we create psychological safety in organizations in a real meaningful way and I suppose, as well as that, engage people in a more um, empathetic and caring way, create a greater connection, ultimately, Laurie, between teams and their leaders. Do you think there's really an appetite for this? Because I know there's the um, effort in saying 
there's the appetite for this at the leadership level. But do you think that really exists? I mean, you must. You're an optimist. You've launched this business. But like between you and me, like, is is it really true? So I honestly think that the le- leadership of the future in the in the 2030s and beyond is about care and connection with your employees. I fundamentally believe that's a differentiator for organizations. And as hocus pocus as that might sound today, I honestly think that's the future of leadership. I believe that organizations who can embrace and connect with their lead, with their employees at a deeper level and show genuine care and connection for their employees will, will outperform those who don't. If you think about leadership 20 years ago, Laurie, and the type of leaders that you and I both work for, that model of leadership is, is no longer viable in the organization, in organizations that ter- sort of very, um, let me call it directive style of leadership. So similarly, I expect in the next 20 years, transformation into how leadership actually operates in organizations to give more focus and more prevalence of, of care and connection. Because we talk a lot today in, in organizations about well-being of employees. But really, what does that mean? You know, it, it, it means looking after the whole individual, not just the person who may be showing up uh, from a professional capacity. We all have lives, we all have challenges. And I think companies who embrace that level of connection will outperform those who don't. Well, I mean, from your lips to God's ears, as they say, I I really am hopeful about this. And I do believe in the power of caring and connection, both at work and just in humanity in general. I believe in the potential and the possibility. In order to make things happen, though, in our lives, we have to see a glimmer of it. We have to experience that. And so I wonder when or if you experienced caring and connection from a senior leader and how that made a difference in your journey. Sure. That's a great question, Laurie. So we ha- I'm fortunate to have three children. So my two boys and a girl and when my middle boy was, was born. He's a big strapping 15 or 16 year old guy now. He's 16. So many years ago, he um, when he was born, we had some serious challenges with his health and I needed support from my from the company I worked for at the time. And I can recall the impact it had on me when I got that support so freely and welcoming. So that was a huge factor for me in going beyond Kevin Brady, the work, the work person. I felt a deep connection to the organization on the back of that experience and a great loyalty to the, my leader on the back of that experience. And I think that it, it, it touched me at a human level more than a professional level. And I'll never forget the support that the organization and, and particularly my leader was to me at that time. And I think that's something that, you know, was really made me um, motivated to work for the company, very loyal to the company and loyal to my leader and something I'll never forget them for. So maybe that's a good example of the impact it can have. Yeah, that's an excellent example. And I think also so many of us are moved by the negative as well. Not, I mean, we all have a bias towards the negative, but I think we can all envision a moment where we said, that's my leader and I don't want to be like that ever. Do you, do you have an example of that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes you learn more from the leaders that you don't want to be (laughs) than the leaders that you do. Right. So, yeah, for sure. I I think there are certain natural um, qualities or personality traits in individuals that that I'm drawn towards and those that I'm not. So leaders that don't resonate for me are people who are very much focused on, um, let's call it self-orientation, you know, where they have a very much focus on their own what's important to them and, and, and their own motivations. 
on the converse of that, what I'm really drawn towards are people who have a genuine, I guess, interest in me as an individual, interest in my development and my and and I guess not just not just me as a as a particular individual in an organization, but somebody who they care for and connect with. So I think to answer your question, Laurie, self-oriented leaders for me are very directive with low self-awareness, I think, are leaders that maybe I wouldn't want to work for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and everyone else. That makes sense to me. You know, I was just thinking about, um, and stop me if you've heard the story before, but the whole reason why my ecosystem is called Punk Rock HR is because of a leader who made fun of me and the way I dressed. And she said, who do you think you are, Punk Rock HR? And at that moment, I mean, it was so... First of all, a joke like that is low-hanging fruit, right? It's not even that clever, so I'm insulted on that level. But it was yeah. profoundly hurtful that somebody who is supposed to be invested in my future development, to be a mentor, to be a leader, is so flippant about what I have to contribute based on how I show up to work. And so very early on, it became clear to me the kind of leader I would never be is someone who, on the onset, just makes a joke to somebody. Jokes are so subjective anyway, I would never do that, but also... I would make sure, like I would bend backwards not to make fun of somebody only to bolster my confidence. I don't know. Does that make sense? It, it does. Well, thanks for sharing the story because I hadn't heard it. So <laughs> that's, that, that, that's filled in a beat. <laughs> you look at somebody who's supposed to be uh, looking out for your best interest and they just show the worst level of like emotional intelligence. <laughs> it's just galling. So I wondered if you had a specific example like that. Gosh, you know, there's probably a couple, probably an example of where I felt that let down or that sort of sense of judgment, let's call it, has been where a leader in front of my peers called me out for having a what he considered a crazy idea. Yeah. So I felt extremely judged and extremely um, disappointed in, in that that feedback was given to me in that way. And it was really because I... I was trying to disrupt a process that maybe he had a vested interest in. So I learned it was quite early in my career, but it stuck with me a bit like your story stuck with you. And um, the impact it can be for particularly a junior employee where judgment is applied, uh, is being sort of set out to them or uh, impacting on them, uh, particularly as it relates. And maybe for me, that's why psychological safety is so important because this sense of judgment that people bring to the organization sometimes is so damaging to, I guess, new ideas, innovation. It, it stifles people. And I think if you could create those organizational sense of, of, of um, it's okay to speak openly and it's okay to be, let's call it, very free with your opinions, that that's ultimately best for the organization. Well, no wonder that you're interested in unlocking performance. I mean, this uh, makes a little sense to me, right? Because you felt the effect of having performance diminished and what that does. I mean, it truly locks us up physically and psychologically when we're put in a situation where we're judged or made fun of or our ideas aren't welcome or valued. So when you're working with leaders, what what's your process like? What approach do you take that differentiates you from one of the other 1.5 million consultants out there? <laughs> yeah. So I think fundamentally a bit, a bit like practicing what I preach, I try to build a connection first of all, Laurie, with, with the leader or the team that I might be working with. And I try and understand at first principles, what is it really like to be in their shoes? 
So really, fundamentally, what are the problems that they're facing? What are the challenges they're facing? And who are they as individuals? Because I think I recognize not everybody is open to change. And sometimes that can be like rewiring the whole operating system for people. That can be quite challenging. So I'm keen to know what's the motivation behind the work and what's their current sort of their, their current challenge. After that, then we get into a conversation about well, what's the, the one or two things that we could work on and partner with together to ultimately improve the engagement levels in your organization. And ultimately, if we improve engagement, we feel like we will improve the performance of your organization. So we are seeing a direct relationship between engagement and performance. And I think it's, it's, it's relationship-based, Laurie. So there's, um, there's a real focus for me on understanding what that client or that leader might want, and then making sure that we tailor a program specifically to support the client's need, uh, whether that's a, a cultural change program or, but ultimately, as you probably are very aware, it, it comes back to the sponsorship at the senior level. If you have sponsorship at a senior level for change or for engagement programs, then it will work. If, if you don't, it won't. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how your background in pharmaceuticals is so very interesting to put you in the role of consultant because you've got a scientific background, right? You can understand these principles that could drive to more evidence-based outcomes, right? You can actually measure the work that you're trying to do. I wonder, though, if pharmaceuticals is a weird place to have a career for this because love and emotion and connection and caring aren't often synonymous with that industry? Or or am I wrong? Have I been out of it long enough where people are loving one another more than they were, you know, a decade ago? <laughs> I don't think we're loving one another just yet, Laurie, no. But I do, I do think that the pharmaceutical industry is very, you know, obviously by its nature, you know, we recruit people who are incredibly analytical, in, incredibly focused on technical capability and probably at the expense of the development of those people as let's call it emotionally aware and emotionally driven leaders let's call it and i think that's that leaves a lot of value on the table for for people to to develop so i i I think what makes maybe my experience in history a little bit interesting is yeah i've worked in the lab i've worn the white coat and i've progressed to lead people so i've seen the benefit of the growth in self-awareness myself personally and the impact that that can have in any environment pharmaceutical environment is not that different there's lots of regulations it's a very innovative environment or needs to be very innovative um, and that covers such a variety of industries today highly regulated that require a lot of innovation so i think the fundamentals are there pharmaceutical and uh, let's call it professionals are very as you said very focused on the analytical outcomes but that leadership piece is equally important in this industry, I believe, as as in any other industry. Well, I like your point about connection and caring and emotional agility being the differentiator in leadership and the, ultimately the differentiator for driving success and revenue and profit and growth, right? I mean, I, I see the connection there. I believe in it. When you go out into the market now and talk about your business, what's what's the response? What are you hearing? Are people knocking on your doors, signing up, or is it a is it a tough sell? What's the market like for you? So uh, honestly, in the first couple of months, I've been inundated with interest in, in my work. And I think it's because I'm, yeah, so it's been incredible. I'm, I'm, it's, for me, it's still a bit of a part-time job, right? So I'm focused right now on, on obviously supporting my company in, in every way I can, nine to five. 
but outside of that, I'm 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 finding a real interest in this in this space, Laurie, and it's it's emanating really from the idea of well, I think what I've tapped into is we we have to evolve our organizations to connect with people at a, at a deeper level. I think post COVID, there's a completely different expectation in the workplace, and I think what I'm finding is that organizations it's it's resonating with organizations the idea of how do we create a deeper sense of connection to our employees. Maybe it's because of the great resignation. Maybe it's because, you know, voluntary turnover is extremely high now, particularly in, in my country, in Ireland, we're having this real war for talent. So organizations are trying to figure out what will differentiate us? How will we ensure that when we go to the investment costs of these new recruits and new people, how will we retain them and develop them? And that has seemed to resonate around this care and connection for people at a at a deeper level than just, you know, the well-being program or the recognition program or whatever. Well, do you think there's also something to be said for the generational conversation? Now, I personally believe we over-index on that. We always talk about the young kids coming up today, and we're really just expressing our own needs. But I think there is something about a younger workforce that's making changes right now. But you tell me, what do you think? Uh, you're so right. Well, I agree with you, Laurie. It's, <laughs> uh, I, I see it, you know, I see it, first of all, my own children. And then I see it in the generations of, of graduates that are coming into industry. I think there's a different expectation. No longer is it expected in, 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 you know, that people will stay in organizations, particularly early in their careers for a long period of time. That was certainly the case when I joined the workforce. And now it becomes more about what can the organization do to support my growth and development as a human being, not just as an employee, and how do we create a better sense of belonging to an organization in which we work? That seems to be what graduates and, and you know, let's call it those younger kids coming from college are, are looking for. It isn't enough anymore to get a paycheck. It needs to be about growth, development, and care. But here you are at your age, feeling the same thing. So it's fascinating that maybe the generational conversation is not like the canary in the coal mine, but it's something that has been happening throughout the workforce for the past 20 years. And we're now only paying attention to it because, I don't know, there seem to be a lot more kids these days. I don't know what happened. They're everywhere. So I don't know. I mean, when I hear that, I think that could be a conversation that a boomer is having or someone in our cohort in the Gen X area. So I don't know. I mean, again, it's kind of a chicken and an egg question, but don't you feel like people our age want those things as well? Oh, for sure. I think we're human, right? We all, we all share the, the human condition and that's, we, we want to make a difference. We want to feel that we're having a positive impact in the world. And I think that doesn't change whether you're 20 or whatever age we are. <laughs> Let's call it it. In a, in a more mature age. So that's, that's, that's the reality for us, Laurie, is that we have the same human basic need. And I think what we're probably expressing to your point now is what we see in younger generations is probably what we wanted when we were in the workforce, but maybe just the, the, the circumstance or dynamic didn't allow for it back then. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when the millennials were coming up and it was like, oh, their hoodies, you know, or their casual clothing. It's really important that we have um, conversations exactly like this in organizations. So how can I show up and be my authentic self? Okay, that, that, that to me is fundamental to an organization's success in the future. If we can en enable people to be authentic to who they are, and if that is in, in how they express themselves, 
you know, as you say, within reason. But but generally, if that's how we can create a greater sense of connection in organizations, this will sound a little controversial, but I think the future of leadership is around heart-centered leadership rather than head-centered leadership. And for me, heart-centered leadership is about focusing on how do we connect at a much deeper level with our employees where they never want to go anywhere but work for you. They want, because they can show up, be their authentic selves and not be judged for that experience. I know I'd never want to leave an organization that was like that. Oh, heck yes. But when I think about the requirements from boards of directors or executive leadership teams to lead with data-centered leadership and the amount of reporting that we're requiring from managers and leaders, it's like they have two jobs. They have the technical job that they're hired to do, to run the plant, to run the site, whatever the job is, and then the secondary work of being leaders. And then maybe a third job of like uh, generating data to prove that they're doing good work. It seems impossible. And yet here you are, the optimist saying heart-centered leader, heart-centered leadership is the future. Why are you an optimist? <laughs> you know, because I, I think, and the reason I'm an optimist is because I believe all of those other tasks will ultimately be, become something that somebody or some other machine can do. If it's data generation, if it's, if it's uh, collating reports, if it's technical competencies, we know at the pace at which AI is moving, that we'll be redundant pretty soon in that regard. Mark my words, by 2030, those type of activities for leaders will become no longer their core bread and butter. The thing that will differentiate great leadership then is about the ability for those leaders to connect at an, at an emotional level with the other humans that work for them. That's the only thing that will differentiate us. The rest of that activity, the um, collating of data, the searching of, of, of the internet, that's, that's going to be done by other things. The only thing that we will, uh, where we will add value as leaders is in the emotional connection, because that won't be replicated by AI. So Kevin, if people are interested in working with you, and boy, they should be, what should they know and where should they go? Yeah, Laurie. So first of all, I'd ask people to reach out to me um, on my website, which is www.performanceunlocked.ie um, you can get all the information about Performance Unlocked there alternatively if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn I'm under Kevin Brady or Performance Unlocked uh, you can catch me there um, I'm really excited about the journey ahead for Performance Unlocked and I want to thank you Laurie for the opportunity to speak to you today and to your listeners I think um, I'd be excited to, to speak to anyone in uh, anywhere in the world about this work I'm so passionate about it. I believe so sincerely in it as being so important for the future of leadership. And I just want to help organizations and individuals maximize their potential as leaders and, and ultimately maximize the performance of their teams. Well, I am so glad that Ken suggested that we connect. I mean, that guy knows something and he was right. I mean, I'm an absolute fan of your work and I'm excited to see what this journey has in store for you personally and how you find it to be suited for you. So I'll invite you to come back in the future and have a conversation about performance anytime you want. Anytime you have something to say, you're welcome on Punk Rock HR. Thank you, Laurie. Great to speak to you today. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. Show notes and more can be found on punkrockhr.com. 
This episode was expertly produced by Emerald City Productions, and we would all appreciate it if you left us a five-star review. So go to wherever you stream your podcasts like Apple or Spotify or iHeartRadio and leave that five-star review and your thoughts on the episodes themselves. Now, that's all for today, and I really hope you enjoyed it. We will catch you next time on Punk Rock HR. Thank you.